620 CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Roughriders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. I love the smell of canceled flights in the morning. Just kidding. If you've been affected by the Sunwing airline cancellations, my heart goes out to you. My heart goes out to all those uh, passengers stranded down in Mexico. It's an unfortunate situation, but uh, it's where we are. And we are on a Thursday here inside the sports cage. And today's show is for spreads.ca. You can sign up using the code CKRM and you'll receive a free $25 sports bet. All of our guests, as usual... They will appear on the Western Pizza Hotline today. You can dine in, take out, or delivery. Get it hot, get it fast. Western Pizza, one of the all-time jingles right there. So let's just get right to this. Uh, the, the sad news in the sports world today, uh, Pele, the exuberant Brazilian king of soccer, he won a record three World Cups, and let's be honest, a standard barrier of the beautiful game was one of the most commanding sports figures of the last century he passed away today he was 82 years old and uh, like I said the only player ever to win three World Cup championships is Pele and he is gone at the age of 82 so uh, rest in peace Pele it's always kind of funny how this type of thing happens you know the World Cup just wrapped up a few short days ago or weeks ago whatever you want to say and then we get this news the World Cup legend passes away 82 so uh, we have a great show for you today in store a lot of local flavor on today's show we're gonna uh, talk about the Plaza of Honor in a few minutes here. Weston Dressler went into the Plaza this year. Ken Miller went in as well. And uh, Mike McCullough went in uh, too, but we heard from him last week. Today we're going to hear from Weston Dressler and Ken Miller. In hour two, uh, Frank Fiaco. Remember, uh, I think that was back in, I want to say June, the Battle of the Prairies at the Conexus Arts Center, one of the big boxing events in the city, the Lonsdale Boxing Club. A big boxing club here in Regina. I know my friend Warren Bits. Big shout out to Warren Bits. He uh, trains with Frank Fiaco at Lonsdale Boxing Club, and uh, really excited for Warren. Uh, he has two amateur fights in his back pocket, and uh, he told me uh, a few short days ago that uh, he is kind of lining up his third fight. So uh, excited for that! A uh, great boxing community we have here in Regina, and we're going to have a conversation with Frank Fiaco at around 5:20 today. As well, uh, Pete Pasco with Claire Dory and Jay Guy at uh, right before the under 18 female national championship happened uh, in July. Uh, Alberta beat Saskatchewan, of course. It was 36 to 12, the final to win the gold medal, but Saskatchewan claimed silver. And uh, we're going to relive those memories with Pete Pasco, our friend, and Claire Dory coming up at around 5:45. And at the bottom of this hour. A conversation I had with Mark Tressman earlier on this year. Mark Tressman, of course, he needs no introduction. I mean, a multi-time Grey Cup winner, former head coach of the Chicago Bears. And before his time in Canada, he was an assistant coach in the NFL at a number of locations. So excited to relive those memories as well. And at 5.05, Tim Peel. 
uh, NHL official we'll be chatting with uh, Michael Ball. But first, as I said, let's relive this memory because Weston Dressler, he was a fan favorite in Ryderville for, I mean, years. I mean, you still see just dozens upon dozens, maybe even hundreds of Weston Dressler jerseys on game day at Mosaic Stadium uh, to this day. So, you know, a player had a pretty big impact when you still see his jersey, uh, you know, around Mosaic Stadium on game day. So here's Weston Dressler before he went into the Plaza of Honor this year. Um, it, I mean, it, it's just kind of a surreal moment. He, not something that... I came here in 2008 as a young kid, fresh out of school, and that's something I thought about at that point in time. I just wanted to play football and to be here today and in this moment, it's it's just a cool moment. Um, you know, it's just kind of captivates everything that, that it went through through my time here. Uh, how are you kind of stealing yourself away uh, when you do get to go at halftime? You're out on the field, you're going to have a whole crowd roaring for you once again. Yeah, it'll be cool. Kind of relive the glory days. You know, the, the fans here are something special, and they bring a passion and excitement and energy to every game. Uh, that's something that, as a player, I'm forever grateful for. They made it a ton of fun to, to be out there and to hear those those cheers and roars. And, you know, obviously tomorrow we get to do that again, even though we're not catching any passes or scoring any touchdowns or anything. But uh, to do that one more time will be, will be a lot of fun. Since the announcement in May, have you been thinking about this day a lot? Um, yeah, here and there. I mean, obviously there's there's different things going on in everyone's lives, but uh, it's kind of just leading up to this moment of getting out here. Uh, the excitement kind of kept building, you know. It's it's like planning a good vacation and things like that. As you get closer, you get more and more excited for it. So uh, here we are, and I'm, I'm looking forward to tonight and tomorrow and talking with the fans again and just interacting with a lot of people. In terms of achievements, uh, where does this rank? Um, I don't know. I never really, I never really thought about ranking things. Um, for me, it was always just trying to do do my best, uh, give everything I had for my teammates, my coaches, and, and obviously for the fans as well. Um, so I think this is just kind of something that's the icing on the cake and prove that all the all the work I put into to being the best football player I could be has paid off. Taking yourself back, do you remember how you first heard about the CFL and the Riders? Uh, yeah, I do remember. Actually, I was sitting in my dorm room uh, in in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and I believe it was CTV had the games on at the time. Um, we got we got the feed in Grand Forks, being pretty close to to Canada, and I watched the 2007 Grey Cup. That was the first CFL game I ever saw, and it, football was on TV, so I watched it. And I didn't know at the time what I was witnessing, but I was witnessing the Riders win a Grey Cup and. Um, I was kind of mesmerized with all the motion and to be honest with you, the, the stripe that went all the way around the ball, I was like, oh, that's pretty neat and cool. That's something different from what I had seen. Um, and a year later, I found myself in Regina. I was like, ah, oh, this is the team that I was watching, you know? Uh, so it's kind of kind of interesting to be coming from North Dakota, not, not growing up, not hearing a whole lot about the CFL. I knew there was football up here. But I really didn't know much about the CFL, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and, and what this place really meant. And through my eight years of playing with, with the Riders, I learned a lot about this franchise, a lot about this fan base and this organization, the history behind it, um, the names up on, on the wall, you know, the, around the ring. Uh, so 
come a long ways from, from, from that 2007 Grey Cup game where I had no idea what was going on. When you take a look at, at the stadium, kind of where the riders are at right now, do you feel a sense of, of pride? Because you were among those, some of those teams that were some of the most successful in terms of rider history. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's all it's all part of the history, right? And I think every kind of era of rider rider football has has their stamp on on that history book. And I think we, I was fortunate to play in a great time uh, for this organization, very popular time, and very energized group of group of fans um, some great coaches that I got to play under and obviously some great teammates uh, friendships that I made that that continue on to this day and will continue on for the rest of my life what sort of emotions are you expecting when they announce you at the game that Weston Dressler's going into the Plaza of Honor I have no idea <laughs> we'll see how that plays out tomorrow and honestly I'm just excited that I got a chance um, I got three little kids now uh, my oldest is four years old, so I'm I'm excited for him to see, kind of take part in a game and, and see what's going on here and um, kind of share with him, you know, obviously he wasn't around in my time playing the game, but um, kind of just share with him a little bit of the history and, and what I was able to do. Weston, have you given your chance to, or yourself a chance to think about what it means to be immortalized in this stadium so that generations of riders from now will get to look up there? Maybe they haven't heard of you 80 years from now, they can look you up and know that you left your mark on this franchise. Yeah, no, I, did, I never really thought about, it, thought about it like that. You know, I think it's all a little surreal right now and something to reflect on when everything's said and done um, in the future. But it's pretty cool. Yeah. So Scott Schultz had a big speech that went on forever, <laughs> and now we don't do that kind of uh, plaza induction. But uh, for anybody that may be listening to uh, these clips, uh, the fan base absolutely loves you. You've got a pin that is down in the store. You're the honored player for this month of August. And uh, people are still talking about the things that you meant to the community. So is there one story that you can reflect on that just blew your mind? <laughs> Because we know fans love taking people out for dinner or dropping off cookies and stuff like that. Is there one that there's, really stands out? As there's like too a, many. Yeah. Um, I think I think for me, just being invited to different fundraising events, the galas, um, whatever was going on, and, and getting those invites and being able to be a part of that with those groups and those people that were so passionate about those projects that they were working on. Um, those are those are the types of memories that came up as as this day approached and those types of things. I ran into uh, Brain at the hotel two nights ago, who has done tremendous work with the Children's Hospital, and obviously I remember that the all dressler chips and yeah. you know getting to, getting my own potato chip and the fruit snacks the one year the Westermelons and and thinking about that project and, and those proceeds going towards that children's hospital and, and what that group did, allowing me to be a part of it. Um, it's those types of things that, that just kind of pop up and you remember. It's like, it's a pretty special time in my life uh, that I spent up here and just being able to kind of reminisce and look back on some of those memories has, has been a lot of fun the last few weeks, the last couple months here. It's nice to see you back here. Thank you. It's nice to be back. 
Yes, sir. That is number seven, Weston Dressler, who went into the Plaza of Honor earlier on in 2022. Weston Dressler, a rider legend. There's no doubt about it. And that is uh, the first segment of today's show. We got a lot more coming, a lot of local talent coming your way in today's edition of uh, Sports Cage Year in Review. Do got to mention, though, the Canadians are back on the ice tonight after beating Germany 11-2 to yesterday. And uh, hopefully we get a little bit better of a hockey game. I'm not sure who really enjoys sitting down and watching those type of games. I know I'm just speaking for myself here. I do not like watching Canada, you know, play Germany and win 11-2. to That's not entertainment to me, you know. Give me a nice game against the States or Finland, Sweden, you know. So I'm not going to lie. I probably will not tune in to the Austria-Canada uh, Austria, um, game tonight, but I will keep you updated. I'll have the score up here and... Uh, who am I kidding? The game will end up being on the TV here. I'm just I'm just so frustrated at watching those uh, blowout hockey games in the World Juniors. But hopefully Canada can win again tonight, and I think they will. And uh, it's a 5.30 p.m. puck drop local time here in Saskatchewan. All right, on the other side of the break, we're going to hear from another Riders legend, Paul McCallum, who chatted with Michael Ball earlier uh, this year. You're listening to the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620. CA. The kings of Saskatchewan Sports Talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Great penalty kill. And goaltending. Jonathan Huberdo moves it along. Gadry. Anderson slams it off a stick out in front. Huberdo scores! Jonathan Huberdo with a turnaround dart. Eight minutes left in regulation time. Calgary up by one. Yes, sirree. Jonathan Huberto, the game winner in the third period last night for the Calgary Flames. 3-2 to two the final for the Flames in Seattle. And hey, those were a big two points as well for Calgary as they stay ahead of Seattle and the Pacific. But the Kraken remain in the top wildcard spot for the time being. I know it's a little early to talk about playoff positioning, but hey, I mean, we got to do it. I mean, we're turning the page over to 2023 here uh, sooner rather than later. So that is your clutch performer for this Thursday, Jonathan Huberdo for Nick Service and Emerald Park, your local Massey Ferguson Challenger, Rogator Gleaner, and Fent Dealer. Give them a call at 781-1077. World Junior Hockey Championship happening, of course, today. Uh, three games, or sorry, two games are in the books. Finland beat Latvia 3 to nothing earlier, and Sweden beat Czechia 3-2. to And right now, in uh, I want to say, what period is it? My uh, computer crashed on me. I do know the states are beating Switzerland two to nothing, and it looks like that is in the second period. So uh, the states trying to bounce back after their loss to uh, Slovakia a few uh, days ago. Maybe that was yesterday. Yeah, I think that was yesterday that they lost to Slovakia. And Canada will be playing Austria at 5.30 Saskatchewan time. All right, this is a nice conversation. Always love to hear from Paul McCallum. Number four, and did you know, you probably don't because nobody really cares, but I have a Paul McCallum number four jersey in my closet. I do. It's one of my favorite jerseys. He was uh, one of my favorite players as a kid. And you 
might be thinking, what? He's a kicker. And I was like, yeah, but I loved kickers when I was a kid. I used to kick field goals or try to kick field goals all the time in the park next to me. Never made one. Haven't made a field goal yet to this day, but I still love kicking them. Paul McCallum, he made a lot of field goals for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and Michael Ball chatted with him earlier on this year. All right, here with a friend of the show and a former rider great, uh, Paul McCallum, former BC Lion great dude, played in the XFL. I mean, uh, man, <laughs> your journey's been all over the place. You were over with the Scottish Claymores, and your journey ends, at least football-wise, at least as a player, in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. It's just announced. How does that make you feel? Uh, it's, it's pretty good. It's very special. Um, you know, it's one of those things I never really thought of and uh now that it's happened it's uh it's pretty awesome you grew up watching louis pisaglia who is uh to me the ultimate kicker uh, how do you feel that uh, you know to know that your bust will be next to his and maybe the bus will talk to each other one day <laughs> uh it, it, it like i said um it's something that i'd never really um thought of before and uh, you know, it just was. I was just enamored in being able to practice and and uh, learn under Louie, and you know, um, watch some of the great kickers, even Dave Ridgeway. And uh, yeah, it's uh, like I said, very special, and uh, it's 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 slowly setting in. So you're a BC boy. You played for the BC Lions, which is obviously special, and and you you'll probably want to be remembered as a BC Lion. But how cool is it that if you, you had to play? somewhere else besides BC, you got to play in the heartland of football, good or bad, and we know the good and we know the bad in Saskatchewan. You know what? It's it's all part of uh, my career, um, the good, the bad, and everything else, but to be honest with you, I think more about the good in Saskatchewan and everything that uh, happened there uh, as far as my kids being born there and uh, you know, having fond memories of there and everything like that. Uh, you know, it's a special place for me still. Yeah, what's sweeter, winning a Grey Cup or being inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame? Now, listen, you aren't inducted yet. That'll come, and, and it'll really hit you then. But, you know, can, can, you, can you compare the two? Is it like comparing kids? Uh, not really. I mean, you know, football is the ultimate team sport. And, you know, I'm, I'm honored that I've been given this award and, and everything for my hard work. But, you know, realistically, I wouldn't be where I am today without my teammates. I mean, uh, you know, all the guys that I worked with and, and uh, helped me make my job easier. Uh, you know, my holders and snappers and, um, yeah, just my coaches, everybody. So, I mean, it, 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 I wouldn't be here without them. Okay, so you're kind of speechless. I get it, Paul, and that's understandable. Who? Who's the first person that popped into your mind or first thing you thought of when you got that phone call a few days ago telling you, hey, you are going in? He actually <laughs> had a bit of a moment. Um, I was told on my mom's birthday, actually. So that was kind of special for me. Yeah. No, that makes... <laughs> obviously, it, it, it makes it special. Uh, how much of an influence was she in your life? A huge influence. I mean, uh, you know, she she actually um, kicked me in the butt when I was younger to go out and practice. Um, just when I was even playing junior football, um, believe it or not, she wanted to catch punts and I dislocated her finger. <laughs> it, was a, it was a family affair. 
So, yeah, no, it was, uh, she was a huge supporter of my career. Well, I played you once in a junior Western semifinal, uh, Surrey Rams, Regina Rams, and you, you beat me to, and my team 20 to 10. So I can say I shared a field with Paul McCallum and I raced. Do you remember when we raced at Old Taylor Field for tickets? Remember that for, for, for rider tickets? Do you remember that bit we did? No. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, hilarious. Seriously, did we? Yes, we raced. I gave you a five-yard lead, and I beat you. I beat you that's, on a five-yard lead. That's true. I have that's, audio. That's, that's that's why I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul, if you could go back and play one game or kick one kick again, what would it be? You mean one that of? Uh, I made or I missed? Well, whatever. Like, one you missed, one you made. I mean, obviously, you probably want to have the 18-yarder back in 2004. I don't want to dwell on that. Is there one moment? Well, here's, here's a better question. Is there one moment that you want to recapture? If you could be young Paul McCallum again, what would it be? Oh, man. You know what? It's a, it's a hard one in a sense where I wouldn't be where I am without what happened to me um, and everything that I've gone through. So, you know what? I don't think I'd change anything. Um but, you know, one of the, well, I've, I had that question asked as far as fond memories go. Um, I would I'd say the, uh, the 60, the, the, the longest field goal that I made at Taylor Field, memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the 40, 47, 48 yard field goal in the 2006 Grey Cup um, in Winnipeg when it was freezing cold to kind of seal it. And um, 2011, when I hit the 53-yarder with no time left to seal the um, uh, Western final. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I'll remember all three of those kicks, man. You were money. That's why 2004 was was so shocking because you were absolutely money. And 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 to do it in Saskatchewan for a good chunk of your career, where it's not easy to kick, is something that can't be understated, and probably a good uh, reason why you were. Uh, you know, you were inducted into the or going to be inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Um, lastly, I'm going to ask you this question. You'll probably be asked this a million times when it. Well, actually, two more. How does the bust work? Do they do they ask you for some pictures, or do you have to sit in a chair? How does that work? Yeah, they ask you for a bunch of different pictures, um, all a, bu- a bunch of different angles, and uh, away away they go. I guess so. I sent them their nine photos and. That'll we'll see how it looks. <laughs> that'll be that'll be cool. Do you get any type of like uh, memorabilia from that, or like uh, a replica of that? That'd be cool to put on your mantle or in your office or something. I honestly have no idea. I've only spoken with the league three times um, so far, so I'm still, you know, I'm not sure exactly what uh, what's going to happen. So yeah, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll have to wait. Okay, so uh, you're not dead. You're very much alive. Uh, we've had you on a number of times, and we plan to again in the future. But for your career, how do you want Paul McCallum's career to be remembered? How would you like to be remembered in the CFL? Uh, you know, a, a, a team player, uh, somebody that my teammates could count on when they needed me. Um, you know, a motivator, kind of a uh, lead by example in the sense of that, you know, I wasn't just a kicker out there just, you know, and not working, um, willing to help out, run scout team. Just, you know, if I see some things, I could just be a team player, not just known for the the typical uh, kicker. Paul McCallum, congratulations, man. We'll talk more as we get closer to the time next year. But, uh, man, it's uh, it's an uh, honor well-deserved. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Ballsy. 
You're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. It is now four to nothing for the United States of America over Switzerland in the World Junior Hockey Championship. Canada takes on Austria at 5:30 uh, this evening. So uh, hopefully we have a bit better of a game compared to yesterday's game when Ca- uh, Canada destroyed Germany. I think what was it, 11 to two, something like that. So we'll keep you updated throughout uh, the sports cage today. There's a Thursday nighter tonight. The Dallas Cowboys in Tennessee to take on the Tennessee Titans. And the Titans are expected to start quarterback Josh Dobbs tonight versus the Cowboys. The Titans just signed Dobbs off the Lions practice squad. What was that? Uh, eight days ago. Yeah, exactly eight days ago they signed him off uh, the practice squad. And now he's being thrown into, into the fire, if you will, for uh, the injured Ryan Tannehill. And uh, he will be getting the start tonight for the Tennessee Titans. And it's kind of ironic, too, because the next conversation that I am going to play for you is one that I had with Mark Tressman earlier this year. And Mark Tressman uh, traveled through a couple training camps in the National Football League back in August. And you'll hear it in the conversation here, but he told me that uh, he liked the way that Josh Dobbs looked in training camp for the Cleveland Browns. And, hey, it's so fitting that the day that he gets a start for the Tennessee Titans, Josh Dobbs does. We play this clip from Mark Tressman saying that uh, he looked good in training camp. So uh, things are coming full circle here. So here we go. It's a conversation I had with former multi-time Grey Cup champion head coach with the Montreal Alouettes, the former head coach of the Chicago Bears, Mark Tressman. Pleasure to be joined by three-time Grey Cup champion and former head coach of the Chicago Bears, Mark Tressman on the Western Pizza Hotline. Mark, thanks for taking a few minutes here on Rider Radio ahead of tonight's game. How has uh, life been for you the past few years with the pandemic and, you know, everything going on, everyone within your circle healthy and doing well? Well, Sean, first of all, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, hello uh, uh, to all your listeners as well. Some of the best football fans around are are in Saskatchewan and in Regina, so thanks for having me. Um, well, as you well know, probably know, the XFL was uh, was terminated due to the pandemic, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, during that time, I had uh, both my hips replaced. Uh, began teaching a, a leadership course at the University of Miami Law School during the pandemic virtually, and have continued on campus uh, last year. Uh, and I'll do it again this year, my, my third year of doing that. So between uh, the teaching of the course, um, I've, I've got a, pod, a leadership podcast out on Spotify called uh, Leadership Game Plan, which I recommend your listeners go to. There's a lot of really great interviews. Uh, uh, Nick Nurse, uh, Catherine Rach. Russell uh, Wilson. Uh, Russell Wilson, uh, Alex Rodriguez. So we've been really lucky to have some you know, high profile guests who have really given us so many takeaways for, you know, lifelong uh, learners like myself and for our listeners. So I'm, I'm really proud of that. And uh, I also have spent time with uh, Mike Tannenbaum, the former GM for the Dolphins and, and for the Jets that started this uh, 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 internet think tank called the 33rd Team. And I, I helped him uh, get it started. Uh, and basically we, we designed it to, uh, really help young people, analysts, uh, young coaches, scouts, and Mike has done a tremendous job of building that. And this past year they were bought by a company and uh, 
and, and I'm doing that as well, providing uh, content. So keeping myself very busy. And Mark, one of the subjects I wanted to talk to you about is uh, leadership because you have been doing the work with the University of Miami School of Law in a very interesting podcast that you mentioned, the leadership game plan. And uh, I'm a big listener of the podcast myself, actually. And uh, there was a quote from one of the episodes with uh, Russell Wilson. You said, true leaders are consistent in their relentless passion. And to lead others, you have to first lead yourself and I have thought about that quote a lot this week because football aside X's and O's aside uh, in Ryderville right now QB1 Cody Fajardo was pulled this past week and tonight he will be getting the start once again but uh, this week in front of the media we have heard Fajardo say that his confidence is low and I quote hopes he doesn't get yanked again uh, now, Ryder fans have been asking the question all week long ever since that media availability. So i like to ask it to you. Just what kind of negative impact can that have on a locker room when your leader and your quarterback is not leading himself first? Well, I think that um, obviously I wasn't in, I don't have it in context. Um, and it loves Cody and who had a chance to coach him. Uh, I want to be careful with this, but... I think what Cody did was what all leaders need to do is show that they can be transparent and vulnerable. So by speaking his mind the way he did and knowing how his locker room believes in him, um, I would suggest that uh, this could possibly create a rallying point for him and for the the team to show that that they have his back. Um, That's how I would interpret it. You know, I know Cody's going to be highly well prepared um, I know he's he's going to uh, you know be ready to play. So the interpretation is really how you want it. You could look at it as a negative. Um, I prefer to look at it as a positive. Saying if 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 I'm understanding the quote in context, you know I think that he's just being open and transparent, um, and uh, I don't think that's going to dissuade him from from playing at his best. Nor I think it may be beneficial in that. You know, he's asking for help from his teammates uh, to lift him up. And I think that's something that is very hard for a leader to do, um, to to uh, follow his team. But um, I look forward to, to seeing what happens. So if you and Cody or any other quarterback who is in his situation were to have a conversation, what kind of words of advice or words of wisdom would you instill in them to help them get back on the right track again? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think that... You know, what, what Cody is projecting, you know, it's a little bit out of the past and expectations of the future and where he's kind of uh, at looking ahead uh, for the game. And uh, I would suggest he become really process-driven, that he starts his day with positive thoughts and just continues to focus on each and every aspect and moment of the day to try to get better and uh, try to... Uh, you know, help his teammates create an environment that that's positive during the course of the week in practice, and let the uh, the results take care of themselves on game day. 
We're with three-time Grey Cup champion head coach Mark Tressman on the Western Pizza Hotline. And along the same lines, I'm curious to hear your opinion on the various you know, NFL QBs and their different leadership styles, whether it be on or off the field. Because you know, we all know not every quarterback is cut from the same cloth, obviously. Uh, quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and the before-mentioned Russell Wilson, or maybe someone that you've coached like Jay Cutler on the Bears or Rich Gannon on the Raiders. What are some of the common denominators? that, you know, makes those guys uh, good leaders, and how do they differ? Well, you know, you can't replicate leadership, so they're all different. Um, you know, if you're going to be authentic, you can't replicate authenticity between be, between quarterbacks. I think, you know, it's a combination, essentially. I mean, if I was breaking down a scouting report, it would be a combination of, you know, mental toughness, spatial awareness, football intelligence, um, the ability to throw the ball accurate, accurately, mental toughness, they all have it. Um, they all have some, you know, all have aspects of that uh, because you can't play that. You can't play the position unless you have, you know, the high football intelligence, being able to manage chaos. It's the most difficult position in all of sports to play, team sports to play by far. And it is the hub of the organization and the, the focal point. If, the, if that's not right, um, you know that uh, that the the team will lose hope. So um, it's a combination again of of you know athletic characteristics, arm talent, accuracy, mental toughness, physical toughness, um, and and again you know basic leadership qualities of being transparent, being vulnerable. Vulnerability does build trust um, when when quarterbacks are willing in a meeting to say, you know, I've got to get that done. It's on me. That goes a long way uh, where they don't think they know it all, that they're willing to learn and be coached. And I think all the great quarterbacks want to be coached. Uh, All the great players, in my opinion, want to be coached. They want an itinerary. They want a disciplined environment to be able to work in. Uh, They want, they want structure. Uh, They're all relatively the same, although they all, um, as we all know, have different personalities, and and uh, they should because because they're not the same. And talking about these quarterbacks is getting me excited about the upcoming season here. Kind of transitioning now. You mentioned to me last week that you were taking in some NFL training camps and keeping up to date on the league. Yep. What were uh, some of your biggest takeaways wow. from uh, the camps that you took in? Yes, yeah, Sean, I, I had a lot of fun uh, the last couple of weeks. I visited Buffalo, and then I went to Denver. Saw Denver practice against the Cowboys. Uh, then I went to Foxborough, saw the Patriots practice against Carolina, and uh, and then um, and then uh, where did I go from there? Oh, I went to Cleveland and watched Cleveland practice for a couple of games against the Eagles. So I, I saw a lot of a lot, lot of seven teams. Wow. Um, yeah, so uh, very impressed in 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 Buffalo with Josh Allen, uh, with the dynamics between Ken Dorsey. And Joe Brady, the quarterback coach, Dorsey, the coordinator, and uh, that was kind of proven out in the last preseason game. They just they just gutted the Broncos, uh, regardless of who was playing. That's that's a pretty um, lopsided score for a preseason game. Um, so I was really impressed with Josh Allen. Uh, I was really impressed with Mac Jones. The ball was barely on the ground at two practices. He's quick-minded, uh, very accurate. I thought he competed well against a pretty good Carolina secondary. Um, I think it remains to be seen where, uh, you know, where um, I'm thinking of the quarterback at uh, Mayfield, 
uh, will be uh, as, as they start the season. Um, uh, but they do have some talented players in the perimeter. they got a great running back. If they can keep uh, the, the running back healthy, I think they got a chance to be a, 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 a very decent team. Um, uh, Cleveland, you know, they, they've got a very talented defense, a talented offensive line, and they've got, you know, certainly quarterback issues there. Um, it remains to be seen uh, whether Brissett, you know, can, can get them through 11 games. Um, I also thought the uh, – um, really, that's that's really the story there. And then and then uh, uh, the other quarterback there, whose name just slips my mind, who played this past week. Uh, you know, it's a talented guy. He's an astro uh, aerophysicist, uh, really sharp guy. Um, and I was impressed with his play. Uh, on the other side of it, the guy that I watched the most was Jalen Hurts, because I'm really interested in you know how he will play this year. That he got a talented, talented offensive line. They got really their receivers really stood out in Philadelphia, and Jalen really had two very very good days of practice. So I think that uh, you know in a division where Dallas really should dominate, I, I think Philadelphia will will certainly be a contender. Was it uh, Joshua Do- uh, Dobbs you're thinking of in in, in yeah, Cleveland? Uh, yeah, Josh Dobbs. I was impressed. Um, uh, I didn't watch. He didn't get as many reps as Brissett got. And uh, just Sean Watson got some reps as well, um, so it was really hard to tell. But uh, he did show he did I think flash in in, in the preseason game the other day. So that's kind of it. Uh, what are kind of, what's the vibe like in Cleveland right now? You know, there's a lot going on outside of the facility for you know obvious reasons. I don't want to get too much into that, but uh, just overall from a football team aspect, could you you know yeah. g- kind of feel yeah, the vibe would- on it? Yeah, I would, I, and I, I was I was fortunate enough to get into the meetings. Um, I, I don't think there's any kind of noise inside the walls there. I mean, everybody's focused. I thought their practices were were really well run. The uh, meetings were really well run. Um, I think I think uh, you know, with, between Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, I think they're you know they just got to find a way to weather the storm. Uh, and um, I didn't I didn't have any discussions obviously about the the Watson situation. He was there. Um, he was participating, but uh, uh, there was there didn't appear any kind of noise or outside influence influences affecting their practices or their meetings. Nice. We're with former head coach of the Chicago Bears, Mark Tressman, on the Western Pizza Hotline. Now, you have been field level to witness a whole lot of legends operate behind center over the years in the National Football League, whether it's been on the opposing team or the team that you're coaching. I mean, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay while you were uh, with the Bears, or when you were with the Browns, you saw Warren Moon on the opposite sideline with the Houston Oilers, Boomer Esiason with the Bengals, uh, Dan Marino with the Dolphins. Uh, you coach Steve Young in San Francisco. The list goes on. So you have been involved uh, off and on with the NFL as a coach dating back uh, to the mid-'80s. So when when you think of the quarterback position, Mark, and all the traits that make a quarterback special, who is the best quarterback that you have ever seen in person play football? Oh, I don't, I'm not going to go there, Sean. <laughs> Too tough. I, it, yeah. I, you know, I always get asked the question of who is the best this or the best that, and and when you say that, you're you're leaving so many great ones out. Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody who can, you know, be a, a consistent quarterback in the National Football League for a number of years. I mean, Peyton Manning. I mean, we left him out. Um, yeah. You know, 
the Fran Tarkin. And I mean, there's so many great ones and they're all, all very, very special uh, that it would be ridiculous for me to, to point out one. I think that the stat that, that I think is most important is if you look at the last 20 Super Bowls, that um, 17 of the winners uh, of the quarterbacks that won the Super Bowls uh, will all be in the Hall of Fame. And I think there's only three during that last 20 years that it's arguable they won't, and that's probably Brad Johnson, uh, Nick Foles, and there's one other. And when you look at the, those quarterbacks who won Super Bowls, they're all guarantees uh, for the Hall of Fame and probably their head coaches as well. So, um, you know, the two go hand in hand. Right. And uh, I'm a big Green Bay Packers fan, so I'm a big Aaron Rodgers fan. And I would love to hear from your perspective on what was it like to see Aaron Rodgers play field level you know, we had a chance in, in my first year in Chicago. We were we were headed to play San Francisco at home in the playoffs, and he converted four fourth downs to beat us. So I pretty much have had all I could take of Aaron Rodgers. I, uh, <laughs> you know, he's probably, I mean, he's probably in the top five of all time. There's there's really uh, uh, nobody like him. Uh, his yards gained on extended plays is is exponentially more over his career than all the other great ones. That's how good he is. Um, he just got remarkable accuracy. His, his ability to slow a game down, down and find things is over the long length of his career. Now, you know, certainly there's guys coming up right now that the NFL has never been more um, filled with, with so many great quarterbacks. I mean, uh, Justin uh, Herbert is, you know, destined for greatness, God willing, he'll, he'll stay healthy. And you've got the young quarterbacks, you know, like Mahomes and amongst others. So there's, it's just a great time. The NFL is just a great place right now because probably 25, 2016 set quarterbacks who can win Super Bowls. This has been awesome, Mark. Thanks so much for your time. And one of the great young quarterbacks that you coached on the Argonauts, Michael O'Connor, he will be getting the start for the BC Lions tonight against the Rough Riders. Maybe a quick thought on your time with uh, O'Connor in Toronto. Well, you know, he was really just a, um, you know, a hardworking young man. I mean, he didn't get a chance to play much, if at all. Um, but he was in the meetings, very smart. Um, you know, was really, really uh, disappointed to see Rourke uh, get hurt as well. Just a magnificent, you know, first half of the season. So um, I'll look forward to watching him play, certainly. Uh, that reminds me, Noah Picton told me the story once how Noah asked you uh, to beat a match defense in film one day, and you took the time to sit down with both Noah and Michael after a film session and went through some concepts you have used over the past to attack it. And Noah told me that both himself and Michael learned so much from that one sit down. And Noah said that that knowledge worked effortlessly when uh, he returned with the Regina Rams the following season. So uh, uh, thanks once again, Mark, all the best to you and your family and uh, have yourself a good evening. Okay. Pleasure to be on Sean. Have a good weekend. That's the voice of Mark Tressman who joined me on the sports cage earlier on in August. It was uh, August of this year prior to uh, that game that the Riders played uh, down or out west in BC when Michael O'Connor got the start for the BC Lions. And uh, yeah, that was a really interesting conversation, especially to hear it back now because uh, Mark Tressman, yeah, he went through a bunch of NFL training camps 
back in August, and he went to Cleveland Browns training camp. And, uh, of course, he saw Deshaun Watson practice, uh, Jacoby Brissett. And then uh, he mentioned that he liked the way that Josh Dobbs was performing for the Cleveland Browns in a training camp. And, uh, well, guess what? Josh Dobbs, he's no longer a Cleveland Brown. He's starting tonight for the Tennessee Titans, believe it or not. So uh, uh, very fun conversation to connect the dots with tonight in the National Football League. Uh, It's the Cowboys and Titans tonight, and it's a big game for the Cowboys because uh, Dallas, they can still win the NFC East. They can still do it. They just have to win their next two games, and they need the Eagles to lose out, I believe, and then they would both have the same records, but then I believe that Dallas would get in uh, over the Eagles based on tiebreaker procedures, and obviously that's a big spot because we're not only talking about uh, the winner of the NFC East, we're also talking about potentially the first seed in uh, the NFC playoff uh, picture, and of course, in the updated playoff scene, only one seed uh, gets that first round by into the divisional round. So, uh, long story short, it's a big game for them Dallas Cowboys tonight in Tennessee. And I believe the Cowboys probably should win this one, but uh, we shall see. We're going to have uh, a break here. And on the other side, I have a sports ticker and then probably play a couple minutes of our Ken Miller interview. Ken Miller was the other one who went into the Saskatchewan Rough Riders Plaza of Honor here in 2022. You're listening to the Sports Cage Year in Review for Spreads.ca on 620. Number 29. The Kings of Saskatchewan Sports Talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. It's 457 inside the Sports Cage. This is your sports ticker for Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right. 781-2090 is the number to call. Well, uh, the states are beating Switzerland 4-1 to right now in the World Junior Hockey Championship. Canada will take the ice versus Austria at 530 Saskatchewan time. Well, uh, the news of the day in the sports world, Pele, the exuberant Brazilian king of soccer, passed away. He was 82 years old. The only player ever to win three World Cups is Pele, and uh, he is no longer with us. Uh, Canadian tennis star Felix Auger-Aliassime has been voted the Canadian Press Male Athlete of the Year for 2022. And I saw this too. Sidney Crosby has been appointed to the Order of Canada for being one of the greatest hockey players of all time and for supporting community service initiatives for youth. So uh, that's some good news for uh, Mr. Sidney Crosby. Uh, Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts, he was spotted at practice today for the first time since suffering his shoulder injuries, so he might be taking the field once again here on Sunday. And uh, we're going to call a bit of an audible since we're up against the clock here. We're going to save the Ken Miller audio for probably the 6 o'clock hour, and if we don't get to it in the 6 o'clock hour, for sure tomorrow on the sports cage. Uh, Ken Miller, of course, inducted into the Saskatchewan Rough Riders Plaza of Honor earlier in 2022. So yeah, we're going to take a break. We're going to have the news on the other side with Andrew Dawson, and then on uh, 505 former NHL referee Tim Peel will chat with Michael Ball here on the Sports Cage on 620. I love the smell of night come in the morning. This is where the fun begins. I don't want to gain another yard. 
620 CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. Sean Kleisinger in the chair here for Michael Ball for, uh, well, the rest of today and then tomorrow and then this coming Tuesday. It's a new era indeed. The Sports Cage will be on the air starting at 3 p.m. going forward, starting on Tuesday, 3 to 6 p.m. You know, the shareholders, our Sports Cage shareholders asked for it, and they shall receive more sports talk here on 620 CKRM. And today is Sports Cage Year in Review Episode 8. If I said Episode 7 earlier on in the show, well, I was wrong. Not the first time Zinger was wrong. I'm wrong all the time. But uh, I'm correcting myself. It is uh, episode 8 today, and tomorrow is episode 9. And uh, it's going to be a fun one tomorrow as well, so uh, make sure to tune in for the last time at 4 p.m. Going forward, you're going to be tuning in at 3 p.m. and joining us on the Sports Cage. And today's show is for spreads.ca. And uh, if you sign up using the code CKRM, you will receive a free $25 sports bet. Maybe you can uh, bet on Team Canada to uh, beat Austria tonight. And if you did that, you might win. See, if you bet $25, you might win 26 So uh, you can easily win a dollar tonight on spreads.ca because I think Canada is uh, going to beat Austria. I think I might be right on that one. But uh, it was a fun hour one recapping it. We heard from Weston Dressler, who went into the Plaza of Honor earlier this year. Paul McCallum, who will uh, be going into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. And uh, Mark Tressman, former head coach of the Chicago Bears. And uh, obviously, you know, don't want to talk about it too much around here. We are on Rider Radio, but uh, he was the head coach of uh, the Montreal Alouettes. When, uh, do you know what? Well, let's just stop it there. I think you know where I'm going with it, but uh, yeah. So uh, Mark Tressman joined us in hour one, and here in hour two, we got a lot of uh, fun converse- uh, conversations, as I uh, probably probably should stop eating candy. Feels like I got rocks in my mouth. But uh, Tim Peel will be uh, the next voice that you hear after Michael Ball. Tim Peel, now a retired NHL official, and uh, not too long ago, actually, he chatted with Michael Ball on the Western Pizza Hotline, and here is that conversation. Talking with retired NHL referee Tim Peel, and we've had him on a couple of times. We always love when he does come on. Hey, Tim, I just got back from Los Angeles, California, Huntington Beach, all that area with some fine listeners on our sports cage trip through CAA. We went to uh, two NFL games. We went to two NHL games. I wanted to focus on the NHL part. I tell you what, that Honda Center, I know they've had some renovations since they built it, but... It's held up real well. That's an underrated rink being built in the early 90s, 30 years old. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been around that long, Michael. And first of all, thank you for having me on. And happy holidays to you and your listeners. I used to love when I would, you know, obviously I loved working in Canada and so on. But it got pretty cold when I was going to Winnipeg and Calgary and Edmonton in, in the winter times. When I'd get my assignments and it had California, Florida, and a funny story, my wife, we had Bronson, my son, and she's pregnant with my with our second child at the time. And I had a day off in Tampa, 
and we there's a nice outdoor pool there at the Marriott right beside the rink in Tampa. And I'm laying by the pool, and I got a bu- I got a bucket of <laughs> bud, bu- I got a bucket of Bud Light sitting beside me, and she FaceTimed me because she wanted me to see our son, right? But and and I answered the phone, and all she said was, "Really." Really? You know, she's at home with with a crying baby, and I'm laying by the floor having beers. Oh, I know. I had a similar story. My then wife took my son when he was ten to a hockey tournament in February in Portage La Prairie, Manitoba. Oh, geez. And I had to go on this uh, with the rate with well, it wasn't the radio station, but I got hired to go MC this function in the Grand Caymans, and I'm there. Oh. I'm, I'm having a great time, and she uh, she almost dies on a passing out from behind a semi. That was the last time I did anything like that. Uh, maybe that's why I say it was a former wife, but that's a story for another time here, Tim. Uh, hey, uh, is there an underrated rink for you? Like, was there? I guess, was there one rink you like to be in, uh, you know, as opposed to other rinks? So one of your favorite rinks? Yeah, I wouldn't say underrated. I think my favorite building to work in was was Montreal. I love the atmosphere there. Uh, whenever, whenever Mario, when you know, obviously when he was playing with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and especially when he came back from cancer, whenever Mario Lemieux was playing in Montreal, obviously being a obviously being a uh, Quebecois and when he would come to Montreal, you could feel the vibe and the energy in the afternoon, not even at the game, but in the afternoon, just walking around that city. I loved working there. I loved working in Madison Square Garden. Uh, Philadelphia, even though the fans were crazy, I loved working there. But I loved, and obviously I loved working in the Canadian buildings. You know, they were, they were some of my favorites, of course, working, working in, in the, in the country that I was born and grew up in. I like the theme of this, uh, uh, weddings, marriage and hockey because I just had a friend, she and her husband went to uh, St. Louis and Kansas City for an NFL-NHL trip for their 25th, and they went to, I don't even know what it's called now, it was the Keel Center, it's been so many things in St. Louis. She is a blue enterprise, enterprise yeah. and she's so pumped to go there, and uh, she was telling me what a great hockey town it is. I know you're familiar with St. Louis. Tell us why, tell my listeners why St. Louis is a great hockey town, because we think of it as a Cardinals town. Yeah, and certainly it is Cardinals first for sure. You know, I moved here in 2001 from Toronto, and back then, you know, the Cardinals were on a roll. They won the World Series in, in 2006 and a couple of years after that, I think. And when I quickly moved here, I realized I better learn, because, you know, like growing up in Canada, we had our Blue Jays and the Joe Carter days and so on, which was a lot of fun. But certainly baseball wasn't the forefront uh, of us or for us. And when I moved here, I quickly realized I'd better become a baseball aficionado because that they, that's certainly their sport. But the, then it's the then it's the Blues. You know, the Blues were an expansion team that came here in 1967, and they actually made the Stanley Cup Finals in their first year, which is hard to believe. They got swept four straight by, of course, the Montreal Canadiens. But they they had this old building here. It used to, they, it used to be called the Checker Dome. It was owned by Perina. Cat food, dog food, and their logo is the checker, and they called this building the Checker Dome, and it was very, um, very small. The, the fans.
fans were on top of uh, on top of each other on top of the ice. And back then, you had the rivalry: St. Louis, Chicago; St. Louis, Minnesota. And you know when fighting was very prevalent, and, and the St. Louisans just quickly became huge fans. And and then you you go forward 30, 40 years. You know, I was at a Blues alumni event the other day, and you've got Chris Pronger, Keith Kachuk, Jeff Brown, Al McGinnis, on and on. Kelly Chase, Tony Twist, I could just go on and on of all the blues players that have retired here in St. Louis because people people think of just downtown St. Louis, but like most most U.S. cities, people live in the suburbs, and it's just a great place to raise your family. The weather's nice. You know, it's 50 degrees here today, so it's just a great place to live, and, and it really, uh, when, you, when you look at the blues players that, that retire here, it really is a true indication of what a great town it is. I don't know if I'd call them underrated, but one of the superstars that came from the Pats, Barrett Jackman, loved this time there, too, has staying around that community. I, I, I should have mentioned him because he was at that event the other day, Jackson good friend of mine we see each other all the time yeah he was he was a good Regina Pat, Pat boy and yeah I see Jax all the time he coaches his boy Caden now in AAA Blues Hockey and uh, there's another guy that just uh, was was loved by St. Louis hockey fans and, and in turn he loves living here so uh, I gotta ask you this question uh, a referee not uh, obviously a player or coach in the NHL but I'm here at the Brand Center getting set for the Pats and the Spokane Chiefs and we We've got uh, the next one, Connor Bedard, the young superstar. He's right. not playing tonight. He's with Team Canada. But do we fast track kids too fast into the NHL? Like, well, you know, when they play American college football, they come up through the States, uh, you know, either in the NFL or the CFL here, 22-23. It's not as bad in the CFL because they're making uh, everyday money. In the NFL, NHL, you're throwing a lot of expectations and a lot of do-re-me at these young kids. I think, it, I almost think it's too fast sometimes. No, and it's a really good point, Michael. And and the only, I would say years ago, 100%, you know, when I came in the league, guys, no matter if they were drafted in the first round or the fifth round, they they spent two or three years in the American Hockey League. Hockey League, they learned their craft down there. You didn't have the young guys coming up like they do now. You have the exception, you know, when Sid the Kid came in at 18. But I think this day and age, these kids are ready. You know, I see here in St. Louis, Jordan, Jordan Cairo and, and, uh, Robert Thomas, two 22, 23-year-olds that are making $8 million bucks a year for for the next eight years. Because when they come in the league at 18, 19, they, they've been a pro for a long time. It's different than what it was years ago. Years ago, you know, they played hockey, and in the summertime they did other sports. And I'm not saying it's, it, I think it's still important to play other sports, but for these guys, these, this, especially players like Connor Bedards of the world, world they... This is her job. This is her job at 16, 17, 18. They're training 12 months a year. They've got an agent. They've got a, uh, an advisor. It, it's a different world we're living in, and I think they're, they're more mature. And you look at the, some of the young stars that are in the league right now at such a young age, and you know what? Good for them, and I think it's great for our sport. You talk about maturing. It's funny. I... Um I watch Crosby and see how much he matured. Uh, I'm watching Alex Ovechkin. Uh, I was, you know, I didn't know who I liked better. Uh, at one point it was Crosby. Then at one point it was Ovechkin. I like them both now. Ovi, uh, 
he gets as excited for his own goals as his teammates' uh, goals. 800, man. Uh, just talk about his greatness and some of the greatness you've been around. Like, who's the best player you've shared ice with, in your opinion? Yeah, first of all, with Ovi, it's an incredible feat, and you're so right. Like, I, I was watching the game last night, and and he's, and I was also watching the Winnipeg-Vegas game, and they commented, actually, on Mark Stone, how excited Mark Stone gets when he scores. And Ovi's been like that since he gets, he's been in the league. He just, you're right, he loves to score. He loves it when his teammates score. And watching a guy like him, it's just, it's, it's contagious because it's just incredible. Incredible that I don't think we'll ever, ever, we shouldn't say ever. I don't think we've ever seen so far. We may see it down the road, but I don't think we've ever seen a one time slap shot like his from the left side on the power play. It's, it's truly remarkable what he's been able to do. And I said on, on a show that I do here in St. Louis with Jamal Mayers and Andy Strickland, I said it on yesterday on Tuesday. I said, you know what's remarkable about Ovi? He's not a perimeter player. This isn't a superstar that doesn't like to get hit, plays on the outside, lets his teammates do all the physical work. He's the first one in the forecheck. He's the first one on the back check. He throws his body on the line every night, and he hasn't been hurt. His knock on wood for him, he hasn't been hurt his entire career. Of course, he's had the odd bumps and bruises, but really shows how durable he is. The greatest guys that I ever was lucky enough, you know, Gretzky, Mario, of course, but that was really early in my career. For me, I'm like you. I was a big Sid fan uh, when I came in the league. And it's funny when you talk about the maturity. When Sid came in, he was, you know, and he's a friend of mine. He, he sent me a beautiful jersey when I retired. And he's a great human being. He's done so much for the sport. But he was a bit of a baby when he came in the league because he was used to, you know, you think about it. He was the man in the Quebec Major Junior League. He ran that league. He probably ran the officials at the time. You know, he ran it. And he came up to the NHL, and he kind of thought he was going to have his way with the officials. But then, you know, he quickly realized there's Don Koharski, Terry Gregson, Bill McCreary, Mick Magoo. Uh, no, you know what? you got to stay in your lane. But he quickly figured it out, matured, and I just absolutely loved the guy. I loved refereeing him. I loved being around him. But when you talk about superstars, just to regress here, when I would be in Pittsburgh the last few years and we'd be warming up in the hallway and kind of getting ready before the game, and here would come here would come number 66, Mario Lemieux, walking yeah. down the hall in a suit. And it gives me chills right now because it's him, Jordan, Gretzky, these greats that they have this aura about them that a lot of athletes just don't have. And it's incredible, incredible to be around those people. I'm an Edmonton Oilers fan, so I'm biased. But whenever I watch the Oilers play, I snicker because it, this is, these are world-class elite athletes, and they are going at mock speed. And then when McDavid gets on the ice, and especially when he's teamed with Dreisaitl, it goes to even another level. So it, it's frantic. So as a referee, when you're on the ice with guys, if Lemieux and Yager are on the ice together, does your mindset 
change? Do you have a heightened sense of awareness as a ref when those guys are on the ice? Absolutely. And I was on the ice with Leon and, and Connor. And the last couple of years I was on the ice with them. I remember I was in Tampa and Connor was coming down the, the left side and, and he went by me and I felt like one of those turnstiles at the New York subway. <laughs> and, and I quickly realized, you know what, it might be time for you to retire. But it, it is incredible. And, I, you know, I, it's not just their speed. Like, you saw Dreisaitl's backhand pass a few nights ago yeah. to Connor down low. I looked at that, and I was telling the coaches at, at, at practice, because I, I, I coach with Jamal Mayers and Joe Vitale, the ex-players, and I was telling them about this play. And their hockey sense is just off the charts. But you're right. When they come on the ice, you, you, you know, obviously you've got to be ready for every shift. But, yeah, it's only human nature. I remember... When when Mario was on the power play, there were times I I had to say, hey, you know, get your head out of your butt here and and quit watching the play, but be ready for the play. You know what I mean? I, you get caught watching these superstars because they're so talented, but then you quickly realize, hey, I've got a job to do out here too. So yeah, I, I saw and I saw uh, Connor's goal last night. You're, he, he, you're right; these players are at mock speed, but then he's at mock ten, and what he's able to do at full speed. It's it's just uh, I could watch him play every night. It's incredible. Does it force? This is a joke. Take this tug in cheek, but does it force guys like you and my buddy Dave Jackson, who's on the show too? Does it force guys like you into retirement early? Do you know what I mean? Like you, no. you know, Mick Magoo is a friend of mine too. But I think if Mick was still alive, he would even tell you, listen, the way they're moving now, I don't know if I could keep up. Yeah, you know what? It, it, it for sure a little bit. Like I was the oldest guy on staff when I retired at fifty-five. I, re- I turned fifty-five at the end of that season, and you think about it: these kids are twenty, twenty-one, and I'm trying to keep up to them. And and Stephen Walken, the director of officiating he recognized this a few years ago where they're hiring ex-players now and uh, because these guys so he's hiring guys that have played in the East Coast Hockey League the American Hockey League so these guys are world class athletes themselves and the next time you go to an NHL game just watch watch these lines when the referees skate now it's unbelievable they're all incredible skaters but they have to be to your point because if not they're going to get in the way they're going to get run over and, and and quite honestly, they're gonna, they, they may run a risk of getting hurt themselves because they, they are going to get in. There's former NHL official Tim Peel chatting with Michael Ball on the Western Pizza Hotline. And uh, the text line's open, by the way. Text me up anytime. 306-936-6262 is where you can text me. And uh, we got Eli on the text line that says, uh, imagine that. Weston Dressler got cut, and we kept Jones around. What a huge letdown that was. And then he bolted from the team. Biggest mistake the organization ever made uh, hiring Jones. That's from Eli. And uh, that's piggybacking off uh, the first conversation that we had on today's show when we uh, went back and listened to Weston Dressler before he went into the Plaza of Honor this year at Mosaic Stadium. Well, we're going to hit the break here on the other side. How about some Frank Fiacco of the Lonsdale Boxing Club? I mentioned it earlier, but uh, my friend Warren Bitts is uh, a boxer at the Lonsdale Boxing Club. And I was actually with Warren a few short days ago. And uh, Warren told me some great stories of uh, Frank. And uh, Warren is actually getting set to uh, possibly fight in his third amateur fight in the near future here. So uh, uh, when that happens, uh, 
you know, would love to be in attendance. But earlier on this year, uh, the sports cage was live at the Conexus Arts Center ahead of uh, Battle of the Prairies. And uh, Michael Ball chatted with Frank Fiacco before the event started. And we're going to hear that conversation coming up next right here on the sports cage for spreads.ca on this Thursday on 620s. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Cage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Welcome back to the Connexus Art Center. Michael Ball with you. Hey, if you want to weigh in on the show, please do so. 936-6262. It's the uh, text number, and it's brought to you by Capital GMC Buick Cadillac, the number one GM dealership in the province at the corner of Rochdale and Pasco. I can weigh in. What would you think of the Stampeder Alouette game? What do you think your riders' chances are tomorrow and for the season? Uh, anything you want to talk about, we'll address those on the text line at 936-6262. We're going to head out and talk to Julio Caravata after 4th. 30 in BC talking about what should be a great event there tomorrow night BC Lions Edmonton Alex they've sold over 30,000 tickets it's their best crowd in eight years and I'm sitting next to a football fan Frank Fiaco before we talk boxing you go to Ryder games it'll be great to see the CFL start thriving in places like BC and Montreal and if Quee can turn it around in Edmonton Toronto might be a lost cause but I mean that's what the league needs you're only as strong as your weakest link absolutely and you know we could change it to the the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Rider League because if it wasn't for the Rider fans a lot of stadiums would even be more empty than they are today Yeah. so it's um, these are pluses and as the CFL as a group and the different teams can help each other out uh, even giving each other uh, great promotion ideas and do what they can to help each other out I think that's the way the CFL will, will grow but the other thing is is I'm sick and tired of hearing people whine about every little thing and being negative about this, negative about that. You know what? We just came out of COVID. Let's move on. Did things happen that nobody, like a lot of people, didn't like? Absolutely there was. But that's life. And if you're going to keep on thinking about that stuff, we're, yeah. we're never going to move ahead. So let's move forward. Let's be positive, And let's get going. I mean, I'm just looking forward to this new season, uh, especially as a season ticket holder. I mean, this is our thing that my wife and I go to. That's our entertainment yeah. is going there, right? That That's our gig. Besides boxing, we go might to... Be, go might to, be a night off for you because you've been busy putting this together. To tie in the CFL to what we were talking about, though, you got a bunch of different clubs coming here to box tonight. There's 11 bouts. But you guys, I would assume... Your boxes are against each other, but y'all work together, right? Like you're going to help this guy out, or you're, you know, from the Jaguar Boxing Club or Winnipeg Boxing Club, United Boxing Club comes in, or somebody from Saskatoon, right? Absolutely. So the whole thing is, is what we do, is boxing clubs come and support your show by bringing boxers and making votes for your show, and you do the same same thing in return. You know, a couple of weeks ago we were in Saskatoon at the Copus Boxing Club show. Yeah. So we'll go to theirs. We'll go to wherever wherever an opportunity is to get these boxers matches. We'll go, and we we don't turn around. And go well. If you come to my show, I'll give you some money for gas. Everybody just does their own gas, their own thing. The whole idea is they support your show. You go to their show and get matches against their guys yeah. out there, and that's how you have a big show. I mean, yeah. and that's that's the key to this whole thing. I mean. We had provincials in March at the Lonsdale Boxing Club, and we probably had 200 people in our boxing club. It was it was packed in there, and that's good to see because you know 
that people want boxing. People want a normal life again. Well, we had our fight, uh, fight our fight for tomorrow in your corner event, uh, and that was great with me and Mark Johnston, and, and that turned out really well on Access. And tonight's going to be a great night. It's going to be uh, taped on uh, on Access for uh, rebroadcast. But we're happy to be down here now. We got eleven bouts here, uh, starting with the young guys. You bet you. I mean, every year I like starting the show with our youngest guys. We got eleven and twelve year old, thirty four kilos. I can't even remember what thirty four <laughs> kilos look like. <laughs> and uh, three one-minute rounds, so they know they only have three minutes to showcase what they have. So these guys, this is actually a rematch from Saskatoon a couple of weeks ago. Okay. So we'll see who changed their strategy tonight, which will be awesome. Yeah. And there's going to be probably, you know, three one-minute rounds of just flurry punches going back and forth with these two little guys. So uh, do we have heavyweights tonight? Do we have some you big know, ones? You know what? We have a super heavyweight, so Trent and David yeah. are 92 plus. Yeah. We have a 75 kilo boat, yeah. 67 kilos. So yeah, we got a, we got some big boys in there too. And our last three matches are open boxers. So what that means is they have uh, more than that 10 bouts. So these are the guys that have been there on the block a few times. They've been in the gym for quite a few years. They're a little bit more technical than the guys with one or two boats. Mm. So it's nice for you to be back here because COVID, we talked about it. It was tough for everybody. It's tough for your club. I mean, it was great that you moved into your own building there. And it was great that you guys found your way through, given like personal training classes and all that type of thing. But this is really a big uh, fundraiser for you guys to help, uh, to help, uh, youth and people that want to try this sport out. Yes, exactly, uh, Michael. The biggest thing with this show is what it does is it helps subsidize the gym to keep our prices down. So we have a lot of families that come to our gym. So there's two or three uh, kids that are uh, boxing and training. So if we had to have our, our fees really high, all of a sudden, now those parents have to make a decision on which child gets to do boxing. So what this does is the money we raise this mm -hmm. subsidizes that so we can keep our prices low. And there's, it's amazing how many people phone or get, I get an email and they're like, is that all it is to train there? Yeah. So, and it makes me feel good that we're able to turn around and we want to be an inclusive. We want to be able to include everybody. We don't want to be an exclusive gym where only mm -hmm. the people with all the money. We want to make sure it's inclusive that anybody at all can come out there and train. We don't want money to be a roadblock. Okay, so if somebody wants to come down and just watch tonight in the crowd, can they come down and watch in the crowd? Absolutely. There's still tickets available at the door. Okay. So they'll be able to $20 plus whatever the fees are with yeah. the Connexus. But uh, yeah, there's still door, uh, tickets available at the door for the general uh, boxing, and the boxing starts at 7.30 p.m. And you got yeah, the most you've ever had from the Lonsdale here, like seven boxers? Absolutely. That just goes to show you the growth of uh, boxing in Saskatchewan and in Canada is that we're able to get seven of our own boxers on there, starting with our little 34 kilo all the way up to our super heavyweight. And I believe this is the most we've had in one show is seven boxers in the longest time that I can remember. So it's, I'll put it to this way, Coach Shallow. Yeah. Is what or Frank's wife, she's known as, yeah. is she's going to be busy tonight. She'll be hopping because uh, she's our head coach. Yeah. And I'm just the... You, you, you're known as her husband. Let's get that right. <laughs> oh, okay. You were the pants in the family till she comes home. I will say this. It's kind of ironic. It was on this day 15 years ago that the Sopranos wrapped up, okay? When Tony faded to black. We've got Frank Fiacco, his brother Tony Fiacco, his brother Pat Fiacco, your mom and dad here. What are their names? Mike and Carmela. Like, you guys are all, and, and, and is your son here? So my son will be here, Chris Fiacco. Yeah. My two stepdaughters will be here as well as, uh, so Dakota and Sierra. Yeah. And obviously, and everybody's doing something. Everybody's got a role. So you're, you're, they're not 
my family's not coming in here for for a free meal. Yeah, everybody's everybody's being put to work. <laughs> well, you're smiling like a butcher's dog, so that obviously means something to you. You do a great job in the community. Have yourself a good night, and I guess you got some. Uh, you picked up some loser to do the uh, ring announcing, so we'll see what he can do. You know what? <laughs> I, I uh, I'm, I'm happy to have you on here. We're fortunate that you're able to uh, step away from all your duties with the riders right now. And as you all know, whenever we look at the calendar, we always make sure it doesn't coincide with a ride, yeah. right? But, uh, yeah. you know, this is, uh, this is special to have you on doing the emceeing as, uh, as you normally do, but this year is a little bit more special yeah. that, uh, you know, the voice of the riders. And I know it's a long-time dream, and this just goes to show you, you know what, if you work at anything hard enough, dreams do come true, and you can't let people put you down. You know what I mean, Michael? And I'm sure, uh, you know, I've been at the Ryder Games. I've been whatever. And everybody does their chat and does whatever, buddy. And you didn't let that get to you. I mean, you were Michael Ball. You were ballsy. You had your own niche. You turned around and did your gig. You did your gig. You made your name, not just in Regina, but in Saskatchewan and in Canada. And it's you. You are ballsy. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. We'll see you on the other side. You get you. Thanks Sa for having me. Save up. me a bun or something, okay? Oh, yeah. I'll have to eat something. You got a great meal down here. If you, didn't, if you people didn't check this out this year, make sure you do it next year. Make sure you do it. Battle of the Prairies, big-time boxing event in Regina, Saskatchewan. That's Frank Fiacco of the Lonsdale Boxing Club ahead of the tournament this year in 2022. So, uh, great conversation there with Michael Ball and Frank Fiacco. And coming up next, we're going to hear from a freshman at the University of Regina, a Campbell Tartan alumni, Isaiah Bay, on the men's basketball team. And it's Cougars in the Cage, and it's coming up next. For Spreads.ca on 620 CK. New building. The kings of Saskatchewan sports talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Talking to Isaiah Bay. He's a big time recruit that has signed on with the men's basketball team. A 5'11 guard led Campbell to appearances in both the city and provincial finals at the 5A level this past season. How are you today, Isaiah? I'm good. How are you? Good, man. Now, you come by this honestly because your dad uh, used to play with the Cougars during the 2002-2003 and 2004-2005 season. Uh, Levy Bay is his name. So uh, how much of an influence has Levy been on your uh, career? Uh, he's had a pretty big influence. He's always kept me around the games. He's also a ref in town. So whenever he's, he used to ref when I was a kid, I'd always go out with him and watch the games. Yeah, so how much did you pick up on it watching him ref, and, and what kind of things did he teach you about the game? Did he give you any little insider tips of what refs may or may not call? <laughs> yes, he did. He always told me to stay clean and never complain because refs like to talk to each other, so you might stop getting calls if you complain too much. Yeah, that's a good point. Did he, did he teach you how to take, as a guard, did he teach you how to take a charge? <laughs> yes, he did. So what's the key? What's take, the what's the key to doing that, uh, Isaiah? Uh, just meet the defender at the rim. Um, make sure your feet are not moving and you're just stable. Okay. And how about on the other side of the court, avoiding a charge? How do you do that? Um, landing on two feet and either taking a side step or just jump stop and looking for an outlet. Did Dad ref your games coming up through the ranks? Um. He refed a couple of tournaments, but he never refed in any league games. Was he hard on you in the tournaments? 
<laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> I'd often look at him for calls, but he'd just say, keep playing. And so you never got mad at him on the court, but did you get mad at him on the way home or when you got home? <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> and so was he the ultimate ref and grounded you? Um. Yeah, he did. <laughs> uh, all right. So you averaged seventeen point one points and eight and a half rebounds per game, while also leading the Tartans in both assists at six point three and steals at three point five. What's your favorite th- uh, thing about your game, Isaiah Bay? Um. Probably distributing and getting everyone else involved. Yeah. Wh- why? Like this. Yeah. Why do you like that? Um. I just like getting others involved. I like seeing other guys get the spotlight and. Getting their own. What's your favorite game so far in your young career? Is it one come to mind? My favorite game. It was probably provincial finals. Even though um, we lost, there was quite a few people watching, and it was fun to compete, and I also had a pretty good game. Were you always a basketball guy, or did you have any other sports you liked, Isaiah? Um, I've always been playing since I was little. But I also played soccer and football growing up. Okay, so how intense are your workouts in terms of, uh, you know, like how many in the off season? how many balls would you shoot? Uh, you know, how intense are your rebound drills? What do you do there? Does your dad work you out too? Um, my dad used to work me out, but as I got older, I started working out with other people. But I'll usually try my best to put up about like 500 shots a day. 500 shots a day. I got tennis elbow 500, now. 500 makes, sorry, not shots. 500 makes, okay. So in f- how long does it take you to make 500? Like how many shots would you need to take, Isaiah? Uh, quite a bit. If I'm having an off day, it'll be more than usual, but we've well, been working on it recently. Well, what would that be? Like six? You need you need to take 600 to make 500, 650? Probably seven something. Oh, okay, seven something. What What's your goal to get it down to six hundred? Uh, yeah, I could say that. Okay. So, what's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite play? Like, what would it be? And maybe not a play, but like, do you like the three pointer? Do you like a mid range jumper off the glass? So what What would be your favorite type of play? Does a dunk count? Yeah, a dunk counts. Of course, it counts. <laughs> do, you, do, do you got yeah. hops? Do you got hops? Do you love hops? Yeah, I I do. I started working out and I started dunking in my grade 11 year. Mm-hmm. And then in my senior season, I was dunking in games. Yeah, we don't really think, we think of football players, maybe a little hockey players in terms of uh, uh, weightlifting. But is that something that uh, basketball players are really turning to now? Something you're turning to? Uh, yes, it is. Before it used to be something that really um, set you apart. But now it's kind of like a given. It's something you kind of have to do just to be in the mix. Mm -hmm. So uh, the U of R, was there ever any doubt you were going to the U of R? Steve Burrow's a good coach, good longtime coach. Of course, we talked about your dad's connection. Was there ever any doubt you'd go anywhere else? Uh, No, not really. I wanted to stay home and be with my family and have their support. So I chose to stay home. Yeah, it's always good to have home cooking and free rent too, right? Yes, exactly. Nothing to matter with that. What's your uh, pregame meal? If you have to have a good pregame meal, what is it? Pregame meal. I like to have pasta or just a light oatmeal before we game. Are you a, are you a cook? Uh, no, I don't cook quite often. Mom or dad's the one that makes your meals or what? 
Yeah, my mom makes the news. So dad's the coach and the ref and, and the former player, so you've got that. And, and your mom, she what? She washes your gear and, and uh, makes you food? <laughs> no, I wash my own gear. You wash it. Well, at, at least you're doing that. I'm glad you're at least earning your keep a little bit. Um, what, <laughs> what do you like best, do you think, about the U of R program besides staying home? What, what do you like about Steve Burroughs and his program there? Um, it's a great group of guys. They put together a great team with great athletes, and we're going to have a lot of fun and success next season. Awesome, man. And, and before we uh, uh, wrap this up, maybe a shout-out to your head coach at Campbell, Stephen Shields. Uh, he was a two-year Cougar who finished his U-sports career in 2016-2017. Maybe talk about Stephen and, and what he did to help you. Um, Steve was a great coach. He'd often give me gym time in the mornings or after school, even after practice. And he kind of always just talked to me and said I could do whatever I put my mind to and just let me really be free on the court, which helped me grow a lot. Okay, so for those that haven't seen you play and kind of watch the NBA, is there one guy that you could kind of model yourself after? If we were to say, okay, Isaiah Bay plays like this, who would it be? Um, I'd say maybe a little bit of a mix between Chris Paul and like John Morant, I'd say. Oh yeah, I love John Morant. He's a flashy player and Chris Paul's a good leader. That's all. Yeah, he likes to distribute the ball for sure. Hey, uh, Isaiah, thanks for your time. Congratulations on uh, joining the U of R men's basketball team. Have yourself a great night. Thank you so much. You too. It's a segment we call Cougars in the Cage in the Sports Cage here as uh, we highlight Cougar Athletics. That's Isaiah Bay from Campbell joining the U of R Cougars basketball team headed up, of course, by our friend, friend of the show, Steve Burrows. Yes, sir. And Isaiah Bay is uh, obviously just a freshman, so not too many minutes logged at this point. He has played in a couple games so far this year. He played against the Brandon Bobcats. Uh, back in November, and uh, he put up two points. And then more recently, on uh, December 2nd, it was against UBC Okanagan Heat. Uh, Isaiah Bay also went into a game and uh, came away with a bucket in that game as well. So uh, in his young career, he has four points to his name. Man, that must have felt good to get your first points in a Regina Cougar uniform. That is uh, something special. So looking forward to seeing Isaiah Bay on the court at the University of Regina for many years to come here. We're going to hit the break. On the other side, we're going to hear from our friend Pete Pasco, who uh, sat down with Claire Dory and uh, Jaya Guy ahead of the U18 Female National Football Championship in July. And, uh, of course, it didn't end the way that we wanted. Alberta beat Saskatchewan in the game 36-12 to to win the gold medal. But Canada, or sorry, uh, Saskatchewan, did come away with a silver medal. So we will relive those memories coming up next. You're listening to the Sports Cage Year in Review Episode 8 for Spreads.ca on 620 Seek Tires. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Sports Cage Year in Review Episode 8 on this mighty fine Thursday corner of 12th and Rose downtown Regina. I'm looking up at the big screen TV right now. 11 minutes and 4 seconds remaining in the first period. Canada taking on Austria. Still no score. So maybe the Austrians might have something to say tonight. Canada thought they were going to tippy-toe on over them like they did Germany yesterday. Well, maybe not so quick. 
Maybe not so quick. It is only halfway through the first period. It'll probably end like 13 to nothing, but we shall see. All right, before we break for the news, this is a conversation that happened back in July of this year. Pete Pasco with Claire Dory and Jaya Guy ahead of the U18 Female National Championship, which took place at Mosaic Stadium. Here's that convo. And our next guests are two members of the team that will represent Saskatchewan at the first ever under-18 Women's Football National Championship coming up right here in Regina in July. So let's get right into it. The head coach of the team, no stranger to this program, is Claire Dory. Seated next to her, one of the... uh, one of the players who will play numerous positions because it's a six-a-side type of tournament and you get to do that. Uh, so we will call her O-line or possibly D-line, maybe some linebacker. Anyway, her name is Jay Guy, and we'll find out how many positions she's looking forward to playing. But uh, first off, Claire, congrats on being named the head coach. Exciting opportunity, clearly uh, uncharted territory with this tournament. Clearly you're looking forward to it, I assume. Absolutely. Anytime you can put a stamp on being the first of anything, it's exciting. Um, you know, excited as you well, you well know to to coach enthusiastic young women and and keep growing the sport of women's tackle football in Saskatchewan and across the country. The team has been selected, and we'll have our first official as a team camp this coming weekend. Jay, if I told you five years ago uh, you're going to play in a national championship in tackle football on your home turf, would you have? thought I was insane because you yeah, wouldn't be the thought first. thought you were crazy. Okay. Like, it's just, I've been playing basketball my whole life, so <laughs> it's good to, it's good to know that I'm part of something as incredible as this, as a first, like a national football tournament. Blows my mind to, like, know that I'm a part of this. I'm very proud to say that I'm playing in this. I have a random theory. I'll throw it out. You didn't happen to play high school basketball at Balfour, did you? I did not. Oh, okay. I don't so know much if for you that. wanted me, to be honest. But, <laughs> um, my best friend, Juliet, who I've played flag with and basketball with um, since I was like in grade five, she'd played on the first year of Victoria's and was her mom was like, Jay, you should come out and try it. Like, it'll be good. You get to play with Juliet. And I've been playing flag and I don't regret it a bit. It's my favorite sport. It's now my sport. I'm proud to be a women's football player. I've uh, been recruited for this, for Riot, for Victoria's, and it's just like a great collaborative sport. Like, it makes me... It makes me very proud to be a football player. Claire, you have extensive experience in this game as a player and a coach, but in the 12-a-side game. Have you ever coached 6-a-side? How different is that going to be? Uh, well, I mean, football is football when you come down to it, um, right? We, we'll adjust to the numbers. We'll adjust to the size of the field. The exciting thing about 6-a-side football is how dynamic it becomes, right? You, with the number of eligible athletes you know, on the offensive side and how many you know, options you can have in terms of structure on the defensive side, um, really you just take your, your ideas and you, and you modify them to, to the game in front of you. So 6-a-side, while I haven't coached it extensively, I'm familiar with the game, I'm familiar with 9 side I've coached a fair amount that way and I'm so fortunate to have a coaching staff um, of people who have spent time on six aside so really uh, my expertise is just managing those great puzzle pieces in front of me and, and allowing them the freedom to uh, to take those those teams it's different um, being O-line, I'm normally like the bigger one, the slower one, but now I'm also expected to be a receiver part of the time, which is very fun. It's different. Um, and again, like you said, more versatile, uh, more positions to play. And I love being on both sides of the ball, so it's a good experience. And it's different. I've played 9 and 12 men now, so I'm just kind of racking them all up, 6, 9, and 12, and it's a fun experience for sure. 
Well, um, you know, in the past no number of years, right, we've developed the Regina Victorias through RMF, but right, we've had to have people to compete against. So we're so fortunate to have formed the PGFL, right, which includes Estevan, Melville, Mooseman, and Yorkton. So players from each of those teams have come to try out and, and are being represented. And then, you know, as much as there is football, uh, you know, in terms of in the north with the Valkyries, they don't really have much in terms of a U18 or, or minor football program that women are playing in yet. However, we do have players that have come from Prince Albert, from Pine House, from Saskatoon that are individually playing on their youth um, minor football associations or high school teams. So we've had those players come and again, we're fortunate to have them as a part of the team. Football Canada, in its infinite wisdom, has named you guys the top seed going into the tournament. No pressure. <laughs> Uh, how do you feel about that? Um, it's definitely like a pressure, but we're just here to have a good time and develop as a team and play. And obviously, like we want to play to win, but regardless of the outcome, it's just exciting to be competing in this tournament and gaining experience as a team and meeting new friends and coaches. So, yeah. How about you, Claire? As a coach, do you like being the hunter or the hunted? Um, you know, I've, in my in my many years, I've had you know both instances, and to me, especially in an inaugural event like this, the rankings couldn't mean less to me, um, right? Knowing it was established by random draw, um, knowing that all of these teams are in different stages of development, um, I believe that in these in this format, the way we're playing in, a, in mini game formats, that any team here is eligible to win this and we want to be in that conversation, right? We're going to put our best foot forward, we're going to compete and try and own and, and deserve that number one ranking, um, but is that something that I'm going to use um, as part of my coaching philosophy? Absolutely not. Um, we are there to compete um, and put our, put our best game on the field, no matter the ranking of the team across from us. I got a uh, sneak peek at the schedule and I was, well, I was taken aback by the fact you guys play two games on the first day, but you just sort of answered that question in terms of mini games. What exactly is a mini game? What's the duration? Um, you know, I'll be honest, I, I don't entirely know uh, the, the specifics. It's not, it didn't come out specifically in the tech package yet, but um, I believe it'll be, in essence, one half worth of football. Um, so we'll play, I, I believe it'll be two 12-minute quarters as opposed to the traditional four, um, which would be 12-minute quarters in minor. And there you go. That's Pete Pasco, our friend Pete Pasco, who chatted with Claire Dory and Jay Guy ahead of the under-18 female football national championship back in July. And Saskatchewan came oh so close to winning it, oh so close. And it was kind of a heartbreaker because in the round robin, uh, Saskatchewan beat Alberta. But then in the final, Alberta beat Saskatchewan. 36 to 12 but uh hopefully going forward here we can uh, flip that script and maybe canada can be up on top if uh, this tournament happens again in 2023 still no score in the world juniors canada austria now seven minutes and 20 seconds remaining in the first period Connor bedard going for the record goal tonight becoming uh canada's all-time leading score at the World Juniors, I believe, uh, you know, text me up, 306-936-6262, if I'm wrong about this. But I believe right now he's uh, tied with Jordan Eberle. And by the way, both those guys, <laughs> oh yeah, both of those guys were Regina Pats. Mic drop. We'll be back on the other side of uh, the 6 o'clock news. And I'm going to get to this because I've been saying it for a week. I want to play the full conversation that Michael Ball had with Kenton Keith because it... It is must-hear radio. So that's coming up here in a few minutes on the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. 
CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. Hi there, I'm Sean Kleisinger sitting in for Michael Ball for uh, today, tomorrow, and then back to regular programming on uh, Tuesday. And when I say regular programming... I mean, the sports cage will be starting from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. going forward. Big 2023 in store. Today's show is brought to you by Spreads.ca. And let me tell you, a lot has happened since we last chatted with each other. A lot has happened. And I mean, a lot has happened in the World Junior Game. Canada now up 2 to nothing on Austria. And you might be thinking to yourself, did Bedard score? Did he score? Bedard... Did not score, but he did have an assist on the opening goal. Dylan Gunther uh, with the opening goal for Canada. And just near moments ago, Zach Dean potted one home. So now it's two to nothing for Canada. And uh, yes, I was uh, correct on something. Uh, believe that. Zinger was right about something. So Connor Bedard is just two goals back of Jordan Eberly for the all-time lead for Canada for goals scored at the World Junior Hockey Championships. So you gotta believe, fingers crossed, that uh, Connor Bedard will uh, will break it. Who knows? I mean, he might break it tonight. The way that this game is going now, this might end at like another 11-2 to type game like it was yesterday. <laughs> versus Germany. Uh, there's Thursday night football tonight. It's a big game for the Dallas Cowboys. They're taking on the Tennessee Titans. And when I say big game for the Cowboys, well, it's a big game because the Dallas Cowboys, they could still win the NFC East. If they win their last two games and the Philadelphia Eagles lose their last two games, well, then guess what? The Dallas Cowboys will be first place in the NFC East based on uh, tiebreakers. So, uh, And not only that, uh, they're playing for that first-round bye as well. Only one team gets that first-round bye in this new playoff system that was in, uh, implemented last year. So the Dallas Cowboys, a lot to play for tonight. And Tennessee Titans, a lot to play for too. I mean, don't look now, but the AFC South is in the hands of the Jackson uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. Can you believe that? I mean... The NFL's been crazy these past few weeks, so it's a big Thursday nighter tonight. I mean, uh, we've been kind of getting used to duds on Thursday night. Well, not tonight. And it's a big game. Dallas Cowboys, Tennessee Titans from Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, Joshua Dobbs will be getting to start at quarterback for the Tennessee Titans. Yes, Josh Dobbs under center for the Titans. Well, one guy that was uh, behind the quarterback for years in Ryderville was uh, Kenton Keith in the backfield. And Kenton Keith, arguably, you know, this is just my humble opinion. I've never seen a rough rider faster than Kenton Keith. Now, you know, I was only born in 1992, so I haven't seen a whole lot of Rough Rider football, but I've been around for 30 years. And Kenton Keith, I mean, he was one of those guys, if he had any type of opening, he gone. It didn't matter, you know? I mean, I remember vividly July 23rd, 2005, I, uh, me and my dad went to 
uh, a rider game in Calgary at McMahon Stadium. Went down low, first throw in warm-ups, and I was just taking in Kenton Keith doing his warm-ups. I was a 13-year-old kid at the time. I think I was 13, or was I older? Uh, no, I was older than that, a, fif- a 15-year-old, something like that. But uh, Kenton Keith was uh, doing his warm-ups, and he was just like jogging down the sideline, and I was like thinking to myself, this dude's jogging, and he's that fast? Like, holy smokerinis. Like, I could not believe my eyeballs. And uh, Kenton Keith, he was always one of my favorite Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And uh, it just kind of pains me that he wasn't around for our Grey Cup win in uh, 2007. And uh, it's just uh, one of those things where he left the Riders and then he went to the Indianapolis Colts. But, you know, he left the Riders before Saskatchewan won the Grey Cup. But then he got to the Colts. <laughs> after the Colts won the Super Bowl. So he missed out on both rings, you know? And I think he actually uh, talks about that in the upcoming conversation that we're going to have here. Uh, it's one that I played last week, but I did not uh, get to the full conversation. And I think this conversation is very worthy of playing it in its entirety. That's why I am going to be uh, firing it up here in near moments. And, uh, well, that's enough of me. Before we get to the clip, it's now uh, 3 nothing for Canada at the World Juniors. And uh, Connor Bedard with yet another assist. Uh, Shane Wright just scored for the Canadians. So it's 3 nothing Canada in uh, uh, nine minutes of the first period of play at the World Juniors. All right, here's Michael Ball with Kenton Keith. Just a great conversation Ballsy had with KK earlier on this year. How are you today, Kenton? How are you guys doing today? I'm doing fine. Awesome, man. So what brought you to Saskatchewan? Let's rewind your career. How did you end up here in Ryder Nation? I ended up in Saskatchewan uh, after I actually withdraw from college, man, and kind of got discouraged because I didn't get drafted uh, for the NFL. And uh, I had a shoulder surgery at the end of my uh, college season, which kind of kept me out of some of the pickings, which I didn't expect, but I needed the surgery pretty bad. So after I didn't get drafted, man, I, I withdrew uh, from school and went home, took some time off, started working, and uh, I had a Saskatchewan Rough Rider contract on my table one day when I woke up, and I never knew anything about the CFL before. So I just looked at it. I didn't really know what it was because at that time, and even still now, to this day, I really don't watch a whole lot of football, so I didn't know nothing about the CSL or anyone that knew anything about it. So I ended up ripping my contract up and going back to work and had a bad day at work. Came back home, searched through the trash can and signed my contract and left like a week later. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> Kenton, what were your initial thoughts of Saskatchewan and the Canadian Football League? Um, my initial thoughts of Saskatchewan was that it, you know, it looked real... It looked like I, like I told the other guy yesterday, it looked like I walked back into the past a couple of years from where, where I came from. You know, all the, all the cars were older. A lot of the buildings were older. You know, it was just a little bit more older looking when I got there. So I was like, hey, where am I at? What is going on here? But after a while, I started getting used to it. And I liked it. You know, I started liking the fact that it was real, it was a lot slower than what I was used to. So it was easy for me to kind of stay focused on what I was supposed to be focused on, which was football. And once I started uh, doing that, I realized how big the city was about their football. So, And that's what I fell in love with. It was like you play for a team, but you really 
planes for the whole entire city because everybody's all about their riders. So yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, right, uh, the city of Regina and actually the province of Saskatchewan, they drive a long way to, to watch the games. Did you did you get an appreciation of that when you played here? I know a lot of fans come up to you and you probably didn't know where some of these places were, but they say, I'm coming from Saskatoon or I'm coming from PA. I'm driving four hours. I'm driving six hours. Some people drive all the way from Edmonton and Calgary to come watch games, which is eight hours away. Did you have an appreciation of that when you played? Oh, yeah, definitely on the road games, man. We would always say, you know, sometimes our road games were like home games, which gave us a, a good advantage sometimes. It, it made us feel like home, and it made our made the momentum swings a lot more. Because sometimes, you know, especially in Vancouver, the the, the uh, stadium can get so loud that it's hard for you to kind of think and, and, and remember your plays or, or just kind of stay focused on the task at hand. But when you got – just as many riders in the stands yelling, go riders, go riders, you forget that you are, that you are at an away game, so it makes it a little bit easier for you to adapt to what's going on. So, yeah, yeah man, uh, that's a great situation. I guess I should have started by asking you, where are you now, Kitten? What are you doing? I'm in Austin, Texas. <clears throat> uh, me and my family, me and my wife, my uh, three sons, we are here living in Austin, Texas, man, and just doing business, running business, and pretty much just being parents, man. You know, I'm at that age now where I got to pass the baton, so... Now I'm trying to make sure that my kids are getting, getting well-prepared for sports and well-prepared for football because they love it. So I'm like a coach dad full-time right now and husband. Your older kids, are they running backs like their dad? Yeah, my oldest doesn't play football. He's more of a um, – he likes to do, like, acting and singing and, you know, stuff like that. My other, he's, he's the other side of Ken Keith, you know, the front line. Yeah. <laughs> the music stuff. So but my, my second son, uh, Caprice, uh, he was born in Saskatchewan. He's my he's my little protege. So he's all about football, man. He's a football head for sure. What did you like about the Canadian Football League? Our game. What did you like about it? How did it suit you? Well, for me, I remember when I first came up there, everybody was like, "Yeah, this is a pass first league, and this is a pass dominant league." And I was just looking at the field. I was like, "How is that possible? It's so much room. Like, there's so much space." And I was always one of those backs that felt like if I had a little bit more room, or if I just had like two or three people in front of me trying to tackle me, I still felt like I was going to be able to break. So once I realized that the field was 65 yards wide, I knew that there was a lot of space and opportunity for vertical moves for running backs. And I just wanted to try to establish a run a run dominance for, uh, for my team and also show the coaches that this is a great league to be able to run the ball. I mean, the, the defensive line is already a yard off the ball. I mean, what else could a running back ask for? Yeah, no kidding. Eh? You almost had 1,200 yards rushing in 14 games in 2004. Do you have any uh, fond memories specifically about that year? Because that was the year you guys went to the, the West Final and unfortunately lost on that missed field goal by Paul McCallum from 18 yards. But uh, you were playing like your hair was on fire that year. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a great year for me. I think felt like I could have did a lot better due to some of the injuries that I had um, early on in the season. But that year was just pretty much a statement year for me. I knew that um, I was going to test my test the um, NFL in the next year or so after that. So I just wanted to make sure that I was proven. Um, by the time that I got to that point, we had a task as a team and individuals on the, you know, as, as individuals on the team to do what we told each other that we were going to do. So there were big incentives for me um, to you know, score two or three touchdowns, get four or five first downs. Like, I was fighting for a lot of different things. And there was, like, little battles that I was fighting in within those games uh, to try to hit certain goals that I set for myself. So, 
what that did was just made me um, not accept being mediocre in any game. So, and it was a lot of pressure, you know, especially at that time. You know, we weren't the, the greatest team, but we weren't bad either. It was, it was like we were trying to get over the hump. But to get over the hump, I felt like each one of us needed to play to the best of our ability. So that's, mm-hmm. what we, that's what we did. We set incentives for ourselves to make sure that we're playing to the top of our capability. Hey, where did that 2004 loss to the BC Lions rank in terms of heartbreaking losses in your career? Because you guys were on fire. I thought for sure the way Burris was throwing the ball, like I said, you were playing great that game, and Paul McCallum was Mr. Automatic. Where does that one rank in terms of heartbreaking losses for Kent and Keith? Now, that, let, me, let me rewind back. That's the year that Paul was playing with us, right? Yeah, that's right, with you, and he missed that 18-yard field goal. So that hurt, but I think the next year hurt even worse because he was playing for them and kicked the field goal to win the game. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that, that is a good point. That, and, it, and it hurts probably doubly worse because he missed a chip shot one for you guys in 04 and then beat you in 2005. So I, I get where you're coming from. Now I'm going to ask you this. You're an American guy, so obviously the NFL was always a goal of yours. So you, you might have an easy answer to this, but looking back now, hindsight being 2020. You went to the NFL and you had you had a you had a decent run there with the Indianapolis Colts, a little bit with the Jets mm-hmm. there. But do you wish you would have stayed here and been a big star here because you were definitely on your way to to being kind of a big star here and a big deal in a you know a big fish in a small pond? Or or are you happy with what you did and went to the NFL? That's a tricky question, man. Because as far as like my personal goals, that's the reason. Um, that I left because I knew I was always good enough to play in the NFL, whether it was a uh, long-term, short-term, whatever the case may be. I knew once I planted my feet in the NFL that I was going to be able to showcase my talent and not, to, not have to sit. Um, you know, a lot of guys go to the NFL, but they don't get to play much. So I was fortunate to actually play every game and actually get reps and get a lot of carries and touches, but I wasn't fortunate to get a lot of years. Now, some guys get a lot of years and they never get in, so just me being an American ball player, an American person, for me to touch the NFL soil was a, was a big accomplishment in myself and the relationships that I built at the uh, at the Indianapolis Colts and being in the NFL. Those relationships that I built are, are, are lifetime ongoing relationships and friendships that I have with people. So I wouldn't say that I regret it or that I would, you know, do not go. But I also look at the other side. Like I was, I missed the Grey Cup. <laughs> the next year when I left, I didn't get that ring. Mm-hmm. Indianapolis, Indianapolis got their ring when I was on my way there. I was actually signed, so I was sitting in between two rings, and I didn't get either one of them. So, yeah. just by thinking about that, I almost you know that's the only thing that I really didn't get my whole career was a championship. So, with that being said, yeah, I probably would have stayed in Saskatchewan one more year, if not two, just to go ahead and ride the. Uh, ride the plan out with Saskatchewan because I feel like the recruiting that Danny Barry and Roy Shivers did and uh, uh, the building that we did for those three or four years that I was there, that next year when they got fired and I left, I feel we all felt like that was going to be our great cup year anyway. Yeah, it was almost a, a team that won the Grey Cup with uh, a lot of what Roy Shivers had built, no doubt about that. And then Ken Austin came in for sure. I saw on social media you're you're hoping to retire as a Saskatchewan Rough Rider. Just talk about the importance of that to you, Kenton Keith. It's more important to me than I than I actually show, but I don't want it like you know, I don't want to cause a big situation with this. You know, I don't want I don't want um Saskatchewan to feel pressure in no kind of way. This is a personal conversation that me and Jeremy O'Day had a long time ago 
um, between each other when he told me that I wasn't eligible. And it, it, even at the time, I didn't know the rules. I was pretty shocked that I that he told me that. I didn't know what the rules were of um, retiring. But it kind of hurt me because, you know, like I said, I, I'm that's where that's Saskatchewan is the place that gave me my start. And it gave me my boost in my career, and it gave it, it, it gave me a, a platform to be able to showcase my talent. And even before I even met my wife and you know started my family up there, I just felt like that. You know, I'm, I'm a loyal I'm a loyal guy. So when it comes to like my team, my coaches, my players, that's really all I think about. So when I think about Saskatchewan and those times that I was up there, I just felt like I was a part of a bigger situation. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I feel like that situation doesn't make me a part of them sometimes. And it, I feel like it's because of some of the things that we were going through as rough fighters up there at those times. And I feel like once we left or once I left, so much things, so many things has changed between the way that people treated the rough fighters versus how they treated us back then. Yeah. I'm not going to go into too many details, but it was more, it was, they were more accepted of us. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. even with that, even with that, I, that's the way I wanted it to be when I was there, and that's the way that I felt like it should have been. So I gave everything to my, that I had to Saskatchewan. I gave my heart. I played with my heart and blood on my shoulders, everything. I gave everything that I had every play, and and I just wanted that in return. So, Like I said earlier in the interview, you played like your hair was on fire. You definitely were a joy to watch, and who knows how great you could have been in terms of uh, your career stats had you stayed longer, but you made the decision to go to the uh, National Football League, and I don't think anybody would uh, would uh, look down on you for doing that because obviously you're an American kid. But I'm going to ask you this question, okay? You can answer it however you want. I- I'm hearing that they-, they-, they basically told you that you didn't play here long enough. Is that true? Is that one of the stipulations? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let me yeah. ask. Let me ask you this, Kenton. Okay. You seem like you're you're more mature now. Everybody matures as they get get older, right? Do you yeah. do, were you do you think a little bit of immaturity off the field could hurt you when it comes to retiring here? Because you've definitely evolved. But do you think you're a little you had maybe a couple of off field things that maybe work against you, or am I or, or am I way off base with that? I have I, I have a lot of off the field um, conversations. Mm-hmm. I can say that. Um, a lot of the things that were being conversated about, I wasn't involved in. So, but that doesn't mean that my name wasn't being put in places where it can, you know, yeah. in bad, negative places. So, I could have spent a lot of time trying to, you know, trying to prove to the fans and prove to people those situations. But I did that in the off, and you know, and when you when you do certain things and 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 you speak to like the general manager about certain situations, like every every little incident that's ever popped up about me, I've had to come to the office speak about it because either I had to prove that it wasn't me or that it was something something that was mishandled or something like that. But that situation never gets to the public that, oh, that wasn't Ken Keith. It still just sits out there. You see what I'm saying? Right, so yeah. A lot of these a lot a lot of these things, you know, I have nothing to do with. So when you speak on off the field situations, the only thing that I could judge for my off the field situation was when I got into a bar fight um um a long time ago and I ended up going to jail. But even in that situation, if I had to do it again, I would do the exact same thing because people don't understand. Like we were as rough riders at that time, and I'm just speaking on that time, and I don't want this to go too far. Yep. We we were dealing with a lot of different things. You know, there was a lot of racial slurs yelled at us. We weren't allowed in certain places because of who we were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a you know there was a big community of 
bodybuilders out there that didn't like us that we would always get into, yeah. get into it with. And sometimes, you know, that wasn't egg going by us. You know, sometimes we just try to go out and have fun. We'll get called N-words and all kind of different things, man. Which, which, and some of us are coming from places where where that stuff goes on and, and you have to defend yourself or and you're, still, you're still dealing with a whole bunch of young kids. I mean, yeah, we're playing football. But at the same time, we're only 20, 21, 22. Right. So we had a lot of mistakes to make in life anyway. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, some of that stuff could have had to happen up there. But like I said, man, if I was put in the same situation um, now that I was back then, I would still do the same thing because people don't understand that I had to, I had to defend someone. I had to help someone out of a situation where they could have probably been killed. People maybe misunderstood Kenton Keith. They didn't get the full picture of Kenton Keith. Would I be safe to say saying it that way? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, man, you were you were deaf. There's no denying this. You're one of the most electrifying guys in Rider Nation and in Rough Rider history. And uh, you know what? I hope if it works out in your favor, you get your just due because uh, you definitely uh, you definitely had made the turnstiles uh, turn because people came to watch guys like you back in the day when the riders were rebuilding and building towards that 2007 championship. Thanks for this, Kenton. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. Anytime you want to have me on, just give me a shout. That's the voice of Kenton Keith, former Saskatchewan Rough Rider, number 28, one of my all-time favorite Saskatchewan Rough Riders. There was a saying in our household, if a different running back would have, or if a different running back got a carry, we would look at each other and we would be like, KK would have been gone, you know? KK would have been gone. If you just give KK the rock, KK would take it to the house. That's what I used to do. Uh, it was a great conversation. Michael Ball with Kent and Keith on the Western Pizza Hotline. We're going to hit the break, wrap things up. On the other side, you're listening to the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620. Osler Street. The kings of Saskatchewan sports talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. 629 inside the Sports Cage for spreads.ca. We got one more best of show tomorrow and then starting on Tuesday, the brand new time slot, 3 to 6 p.m. going forward here in 2023. So it's in the first intermission Canada, Austria, and Canada is leading three to nothing on the Austrians. Connor Bedard has two assists in the game, and uh, I just, I just don't find this very enjoyable. I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm watching this, and it's kind of like, who wants to see Canada beat up on these countries like this? Like, I don't get anything out of that, you know. You know, maybe give me a call when the gold medal game or maybe a semifinal game, you know, when when the stakes are higher. But, like, I don't know. I mean, oh, are we supposed to get all excited because we're beating up on Germany and Austria? Is that, is that, is that what we're all about? I don't know. Not me. Not me. That's, that's just me talking, though. That's just me talking. And uh, so, yes, we got one more game or one more game, one more show tomorrow to wrap up the week. And uh, just going over some news and notes of the day today. Uh, sad news in the world of sports. Pele, the exuberant Brazilian king of soccer. He won a record three World Cups. And let's be honest, he was the standard barrier of the beautiful game. I mean, one of the most commanding sports figures of the last century. He passed away today, and he was 82 years old. And I shall repeat, the only player ever to win three World Cups. So uh, 
Sad news on that front. Uh, Canadian tennis star Felix Auger-Aliassime has been voted the Canadian Press Mail Athlete of the Year for 2022. Uh, Sidney Crosby has been appointed the Order of Canada for being one of the greatest hockey players of all time and for uh, supporting community service initiatives for youth. So I believe Sidney Crosby is just one of 99 Canadians to uh, to be honored with that award. So uh, congratulations, said the kid. Uh, I know you're listening. Um, Titans, uh, Titans are expected to start or are starting quarterback Josh Dobbs tonight. It's a big game on Thursday Night Football, and it's about to get uh, kicked off here in Nashville, Tennessee. It's the Dallas Cowboys and the Tennessee Titans tonight, and it's a big game for both teams because the Jacksonville Jaguars... They kind of have the inside lane now on the AFC South division. The Titans have been slumping as of late, and the Jaguars, led by Trevor Lawrence, have been on fire. So the Titans need a win, and the Cowboys also need a win if they want a chance at winning the NFC East. Because if the Cowboys win their next two games and the Eagles lose their next two games... Both teams will have identical records, but the Dallas Cowboys will get in uh, or will win the division over the Eagles based on tie-breaking procedures. And not only that, not just the division is up for stake in the NFC East, but that uh, first-round bye is also looming. Only one team in each conference, remember, gets that first-round bye now after the change which was implemented last season. So there's seven teams that make the playoffs now, but only the first seed gets that first-round bye. And then seven plays two, six plays three, five plays four. So right now the Eagles are in that spot, but if the Dallas Cowboys win out, uh, they could be in that spot as well. So a big game for both teams tonight. Usually on Thursday night, they're kind of duds of games. But uh, tonight is uh, not one of those games because huge playoff implications for both teams. So uh, looking forward to uh, have that on the TV tonight during Zinger at night. And that just about does it. Ran a bit overtime, but hey, we're just cutting into uh, Zinger at night time. And uh, I like talking sports. So here we are. And the second period is about to get underway here. Canada, Austria. I'll talk to you in a few minutes here on Zinger at night. But uh, for you sports fans, uh, Sports Cage Best of year in review show number nine. I just had to calculate what episode we're on. Today was number eight. Tomorrow is number nine. And I uh, can't wait for it. You've been listening to the Sports Cage for spreads.ca today on 620 CKRM. Today's Sports Cage has come to a close. Miss a segment? Download or stream the podcast now at sportscage.ca. Get your sports straight from the source. 620 CKRM.